Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us at Sundays with Dr. Sean. We're here at the Stables and we're having fun. I will have to tell you the food today is exceptional. You have really missed out. And by the way, there may or may not be some ice cream left over. I do not see Mr. Stably. So I don't know if that has anything to do with the ice cream content. Oh, here he comes. No ice cream. So, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> He's ice cream hawk. He's very hawkish on ice cream. So today I'm just going to say welcome. Very, uh, really appreciate you joining us today. Today's a great day to be with us. It's been a glorious day outside. It's been absolutely wonderful. Now, I'm also going to say this as a caveat. I think it's very important to be fair about uh, what I do and, and how I do it. And, and in this particular case, I'm going to tell you that this is uh, probably the rawest, roughest sermon you've ever heard me preach. Certainly going to be the most political, and uh, you may feel it's condemning, uh, but the fact of the matter is I could do nothing else but to preach this sermon. Ultimately, I will either lose our, our audience. Last week, we were at 64,000. Um, this Wednesday, uh, the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show was just under 900,000 listeners. So I was very, very pleased with that. That's very, very awesome. Now, if we could get just 10% to subscribe, we would be really happy with that. <clears throat> and uh, chat, as always, was very, very vibrant. So great, great place to join up. If you're on a, if if you're on a, it's easier if you're on a laptop or a, a desktop computer. It is harder on a cell phone. Although 86% of our listeners listen on a smartphone. That's something. Thank God for technology. So today is is either going to lose me that audience, and on on Wednesday I'll be crickets, or uh, or we'll gain some new listeners. But it cannot be said that we as Christians have well defended our faith in its collision with politics. I'll say that one more time. It cannot be said that we as Christians have well defended our faith in its collision with politics. Why why cannot it be said? Why why can't it be said? Because we haven't. It cannot also be said that we as Christians have fulfilled our call to work until because we didn't and we haven't. It cannot be said that we guarded God's gift of freedom and liberty to this world, the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands. We slept. We feared. We retreated. 
and we lost. The complete Jewish Bible relates this in Galatians 5.1. What the Messiah has freed us for is freedom. Therefore, stand firm and don't let yourselves be tied up again to a yoke of slavery. Let me read that again for you in case you miss it. Galatians 5.1 in the, in the uh, complete Jewish Bible. What the Messiah has freed us for is freedom. Therefore, stand firm and don't let yourselves be tied up again to a yoke of slavery. Here's another verse you might remember, Philippians. And I am sure of this, that the one who began a good work among you will keep it growing until it is completed on the day of Messiah Yeshua, till he comes. We are to work until he comes. Different people will say what work looks like and what it doesn't. You've all worked with lazy people. And we've all been amazed. We've all been on committees and projects with lazy people. And we've had to work together with them. And then we know absolutely, without a doubt, what a lazy person looks like. We know what a person who makes excuses looks like. We know what that person looks like. We know what they render, the product they render, the effort they render, the weakness of their character is evident in their laziness. We all know people that quit too soon. You know, Olympians are known for their perseverance, their hours and hours and hours of hard work. Welcome to our folks in chat. Thank you for joining us. Olympians are known for their hard work and their perseverance. They don't quit. They get up early in the morning before any of us get up, usually at 4 or 5 a.m., and they begin their training regimen. And they don't stop that training regimen usually for one to two hours of solid, hardcore effort. And then they go on to actually practice the thing that they do. And then they'll come in and stretch and, and have some chiropractic adjustments, some massage, and then they go back into the gym. Sometimes six to ten hours a day. They persevere. I don't know that you know of a lazy Olympian. I don't think you get to be a gold medalist if you're lazy. I don't think you get to lead the free world if you're lazy. We don't know many leaders like that until he comes. Second Thessalonians 3, 1 through 16. We'll see how many I actually read. This is also the complete Jewish Bible. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the Lord's message may spread rapidly and receive honor just as it did with you, and that we may be rescued from wicked and evil people. For not everyone has trust, but the Lord is worthy of trust. He will make you firm and guard you from the evil one. Yes, united with the Lord, we are confident about you. Man, doesn't it pay to be confident? It seems like in Christian circles nowadays, and it seems like for whatever reason, absolutely we have absolutely abdicated our confidence. As Christians, we have felt someone told us somewhere along the line, hey, you know what? You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be so confident because that is haughty. That is, that is you're, you're, you're proud, and we don't want proud Christians. What we want 
are sheep Christians. So somewhere along the way, being confident about yourself, confident about what you believe, confident about what you can do through Christ fell by the wayside. For whatever reason, somewhere along the line in this country, and I'm speaking specifically to this country, this Christian, this Judeo-Christian country, we were founded, let let not another person, If ever there was a good reason for a throat punch, it's this. Don't ever let another person, especially a person in a church, tell you that, no, we were not created as a country, as a Judeo-Christian country. Don't let another person tell you that. Don't let another person tell you that. It's an absolute sham. It's a lie. And it's designed to whittle away at your confidence in what and why you believe what you believe and how you live out those beliefs. And how you work confidence. Yes, united with the Lord, we are confident. Listen, if we break our connection with the Lord at any point, you say, whoa, wait a second, Dr. Sean. What's all this about confidence in the Lord? You're assuming we're not confident. I'm not assuming anybody here is necessarily unconfident. I'm not assuming anybody here in this group, and my audience is is an extraordinary audience all around the world. Love getting the emails. Keep sending them, smgreener at gmail.com, or contact me through blogtalkradio.com backslash the Ninja Pastor at the Ninja Pastor on Twitter and on Facebook. Glad to have you. Also through drshawngreener.com or the ninjapastor.com. Confidence. We are riddled with a lack of confidence. We are riddled with doubt. And I say this all the time to people, you know what? You had better know what you believe and stand for it because one day you are going to stand before God and guess what? You are going to have to say, did I stand or did I fall to my knees as a sheep? And that time could be something uh, not so benign, but not, you know, end of your life type of thing kid could come up to you and say, what's being a Christian? And you could be in a hurry, and you don't give them a fair and good answer. You don't take your time. Or someone makes fun of you, and you and you don't defend your faith. You don't look them in the eye and say, I believe what I believe for a reason. Would you like to know more about what I believe? Or you are, are, are you cower under this separation of church and state lie. It's just a flat-out lie, just like the gun show loophole, lie. Uh, the internet gun buying loophole, lie. The, the whole, when life, at the debate, I, I could not believe my ears or my eyes. Somebody asked me, why didn't you live tweet this time? Last time we had 20,761 interactions with my tweets. Now, that's nothing compared to some of the ones, the people out there. It's absolutely nothing. It was fun, but it was exhausting. This time I wanted to watch and really feel what was coming. I really wanted to pay attention. I didn't want to seize on some things. I just wanted to be alert and aware and pay attention. Welcome to Upstate New York. We're so glad to have you today. And I'm telling you, as I'm watching this and I see this woman describe abortion and and the right to abortion, a woman's right to choose, and she purses her faith. It's such a difficult decision. It's the most difficult decision in most women's lives. And 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 I watched her do that. You know, she thinks abortion is a procedure. She She doesn't care anymore about a human life. 
she doesn't care about the struggle. I'll go more on that later. But listen, you <clears throat> folks, you better know what you believe because she's trying to convince. Science agrees. Most valid science agrees, she said. The law agrees that constitutionally speaking that the person in the womb doesn't have personhood rights. I'm going to tell you something, folks. If you can muster up the unmitigated gall and evil satanic influence to cast a vote for a person who believes that a baby can be born as a failed abortion and born alive and left on a table, a metal table, no palliative care, no comfort, no love, not even a blanket, and leave that baby on a table. And if that baby dies, successful abortion. If the baby lives, it's as though an abortion was never attempted. This is the same person that believes if you leave the head inside the mother and you kill the baby inside the mother, as long as it's just the head in there, and you murder the child, perfectly okay counts as an abortion. We'll just call it a mulligan. If you as a Christian out there all around the world, if you can listen to that, or if you as a Jew, because we have a huge Jewish, and ironically, we have a huge Mormon audience, huge. If you can actually stomach the press of that button, the pull of that lever, the punch of that chad, for somebody who believes in that, you know what, then nothing else will ever be important to you. Because if a little child is not important enough to support and defend, then your liberty isn't worth defending. Yes, united with the Lord, we are confident about you, that you are doing the things we are telling you to do, and that you will keep on doing them, that you will keep on doing them, that you're not going to stop doing them, that you're not going to go, hey, you know, this is hard. This is challenging. People call me names. People made fun of me for being a Christian. People look at me funny, and when I go in places, they're, they, they're, they're all judgy, and it doesn't feel good, and I don't like it. You've got to keep on doing the things that we're telling you to do, and you will keep on doing them. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and the perseverance which the Messiah gives. Perseverance in this case, folks, you need to understand that word, perseverance, no matter what. You really break that word down, you diagram it out, no matter what. Perseverance, no matter what. No matter who comes after you, no matter who says, hey, you know what? We don't like what you're saying. The country of Canada right now are neighbors to the north. A preacher cannot preach what I'm preaching. By now, I have committed four crimes in the country of Canada. You say, well, I don't care. We're in the United States. Happens there. It's going to happen here. And I'm telling you right now. I'll talk more about this in a minute. You allow Hillary Clinton to enter that White House one more time. And I'm going to tell you something. Preachers all around this country, you will lose your ability to preach the true and full truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in the name of the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, we command you, brothers, to stay away from any brother who is leading a life of idleness, a life not in keeping with the tradition you receive from us, for you yourselves know how you must imitate us. And we were not idle. 
that we were not idle when we were among you. We did not accept anyone's food without paying. On the contrary, we labored and toiled day and night, working so as to not be a burden to any of you. It was not that we hadn't the right to be supported, but so that we could make ourselves an example to imitate. I wonder, I wonder, our kids, do our kids look at us, do our grandchildren look at us and go, I want to be like mommy and daddy. I want to be like Aunt Michelle. I want to be like Uncle Bob. I want to be like Cousin Dave. I want to be like Grandpa and Grandma. I want to be like them because, boy, they, they don't stop. They fight for what's right. They believe in what's right. They know what they believe. You know what? All across America right now, and I'm speaking to Americans because our election is just a few weeks away, and I'm, I, 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 am, I am blown away. I was privileged to do a book tour. It was supposed to be five weeks. It ended up being five months all across this country, and I'm telling you, I am telling you, I am absolutely telling you, I was appalled at how little people actually knew about their country here in the United States of America. I was appalled how influenced you say, oh, I don't like it when the elections, when the ads go negative. I don't like it. Study after study after study says 72% of those ads are absolutely effective. You wonder why they go negative? Because they're effective. Why? People don't care about facts. People don't care about that. They go, ooh. I don't want a president that's not good for my children. This this uh, Democrat Party will hail Beyonce and and all these other people in their prostituting of themselves on stage. They will hail that. They'll hail their racism, their their hypersexualizing of our of our kids in America, their their foul, disgusting language. They'll hail that. Michelle Obama says. That for her children, Beyonce is an excellent role model. And yet, she'll purse her lips and she'll fold her hands and go, mm, I was just appalled. I was disturbed what I heard Donald Trump say. Hmm. Kanye West, guest at the White House. Ever listen to his lyrics? So many. Ice Cube. Jay-Z, Beyonce's husband. Flat-out communist. Hates this country. Doesn't mind cashing those $50 million checks. Are we worthy of imitation? Do people see us how we live and say, you're worthy of imitation? You know what? The left has so powerfully told us, so effectively told us, you know what? You're not perfect. You've got skeletons in your closet. You better pick the bones out from between your teeth before you start telling me how I'm going to live. And we think to ourselves subconsciously, we go, you know what? I do have some hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You know what? You're right. I better back off because that's not right. I don't want to be that person. Guess what happens? When they do that, we shut up because we think, you know what? Judge not lest you be judged. It's the only verse in the Bible they seem to know. Judge not lest you be judged. We listen to it. We believe it. We take it completely and totally out of context, and we say, well, I'm not perfect. I was an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. I abused food. I was lazy. I lied. I did this. I did that. Whatever the case may be, whatever your deal, you know, I serve porn. Whatever the case is, we know we had that in our past, and we say, I don't want anybody finding that out. I don't want to be, you know, judgmental. So we back off. That's how they get us to do what we do or not do what we're supposed to do. Anyway, all that said to say this, even when we were with you, we gave you this command. If someone won't work, he shouldn't eat. 
Work until he comes. Work until he comes. Retirement is not in the Bible. Nowhere is it said. Work until he comes. If you don't work, you don't eat. We hear that some of you are leading a life of idleness, not busy working, just busy bodies. We command such people, and in union with the Lord Yeshua the Messiah, we urge them to settle down, get to work, and earn their own living. Let me tell you something, folks, all across this country. All across this country, right now, this is fact. You can look it up if you like. I encourage you to do so. There are more people on public assistance than there are working. When this president came into office, Barack Hussein Obama, when he came into office, guess what? That wasn't the case. Why do you think it is that they want to do that? Totally against biblical principles. Why do you think that is? Hmm. The hand that feeds me, I'll vote for. And you know what? They don't care if it's a woman's hand. They don't care if it's a black person's hand, a yellow person's hand, a purple person's hand. They don't care. If you feed me, if you make my life lazy and easy, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to vote for you. You say what you want about Donald Trump. He's the first person on on the on the right to say, "Hey, this isn't right." And and we as Christians want to go, "Who? I don't like how that man talks. Ooh, he is. He says things that are terrible. And he don't even know how to say Second Corinthians." And then we get all Twitter pated. We lose our minds over the man don't know how to talk the talk. He don't know how to talk Christian. He's the only one, folks, this is the absolute truth, the only one to stand up and say, time out, time out. Why are all you people getting money? And in the black neighborhoods, he went into the black neighborhoods, and he said, listen, folks, the Democrats over there are lying to you. They are telling you that that you can't make it without them. They're telling you, hey, guess what? They're going to put you in slavery again. You don't believe me? Look up Joe Biden's slavery comments. Joe Biden said, the vice president of the United States of America, Joe Biden said, he's going, he going to put you back in chains. They're going to put you back in chains. Exactly what he said. And he meant it. And he meant it. Unapologetically, he meant it. It's absolutely, completely not true. The party of freedom and liberty for black people in all of history, the NRA was formed to protect black people. If you listen to my show from Wednesday, almost 900,000 listeners, the first time we've ever been that close to 900,000, Lamar Gunn, running for lieutenant governor, black man, brilliant, successful, articulate, wise black man. First one that I've seen, really, in the state of Delaware, stand up and say, hold on, folks. That's not who's helping you. You think you think Hillary Clinton is your friend? You think all these liberals are your friends? you got another thing coming. They're not helping you because you know what? They're making fun of you. They're calling you the N-word behind your back. But when they stand here, they put on a black affect and talk a bunch of smack about, you know, oh, we here to help you. And they'll sing a couple spirituals. And you fall for it every time. Be smarter than that. Be smarter than that. Dr. Ben Carson tried to tell folks. Tried to tell folks. They didn't want to listen. 
says you shouldn't have to work. You know what? You were made to be slaves. Well, you know what? You can't get a job. Education is so messed up in this country. It's, it's, it's piled up against you. You can't win. Can't win. Guess what? You're going to have to just give up and let us pay you because we owe you. Because you live in a bad community. You live in a community riddled with crime and drugs. You know what? That's our fault. We feel bad about it. Hillary Clinton actually had the unmitigated gall to say in the last debate that, you know what? Police officers all across this country agree with us that there's a serious problem and that they have some serious problems that they need. They've asked for our help to work on. They've asked for our help to work on. And, you know, police organizations all across the country said, time out, lady. Slow down, slam dancer. Guess what? We never did say that. We never once said that. What we said was, yes, there are problems in the communities, but they're not what you say they are. Says in you brothers who are doing what is good, don't slack off. Don't listen. There's folks out there doing good work. They're working hard, working hard for uh, uh, Hamashiach, working hard for Christ, working hard for the cause, working hard for what is right. Don't slack off. Furthermore, if anyone does not obey what we're saying in this letter, take note of him and have nothing to do with him. We say in our community of the church, we say in the church, the postmodern Western evangelical church, we say, well, we're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to do that. Here is a huge news flash for you. We absolutely are to have nothing to do with certain people. We're not to engage them. We're not to have anything to do with them. If you tell me there is a person standing with a sign that says, keep your hands off of my uterus, smile, I just had an abortion, real T-shirts, kiss me, I just had an abortion, it's a great day, I just had an abortion, it's not a great day for the innocent person you just murdered. If you and your feeling of just absolute repressed Christ-filledness believe the lie that you're supposed to go to that person who is bragging about committing murder to a child who cannot defend themselves. And you tell me that we are supposed to go to them and we're supposed to say, you know, I know you believe the way you do, but we, you know, we live under this big tent. And while I don't agree with you, you know, that's the law. And I have to agree with the law. The law has been the Second Amendment since the Second Amendment was ratified. And yet we allow them to tell us it doesn't mean what it means. Hillary Clinton, just I'm getting ahead of myself. Don't get me mad. Boy, says have nothing to do with them. Don't have anything to do with them. Shun them. Folks, when, when the WikiLeaks came out, I encourage you, if you're going to read it all, bone up on the WikiLeaks. Read what's in there. Please, read what's in there. Don't talk about, oh, you know, the Russians. We've actually got representatives of the left saying to us on national television, you know, it's against the law to read them. They were illegally obtained. People who read them are violating federal law. Exactly. They haven't been deleted, but it wouldn't be a thing. Here is the crazy thing. You've got people on the left saying, well, the issue here is not what's in there. And, and we, you know, we take issue with some of the stuff that's in there. It's your own words. It's your own emails. They've uncovered now that Bernie Sanders 
was completely railroaded. Now, that absolute socialist loon has no place running for president in this country. The fact that he even had any chance is scary to me. That he had people, he filled rallies so bigger than Hillary Clinton. Running on a a shoestring budget, whole arenas full of these Bernie supporters whose biggest thing in life is give me free education and let me have an abortion anytime I want one. Don't hold me back, bro. Man, Bump Central. And guess what else? Guess what else? Those same people you say, oh, man, you're going to vote for Bernie? You go to those rallies, oh, you're going to vote for Bernie? And they'll be like, no, nah, man, I ain't going to vote. Voters for fools. That don't do nothing. Well, then what are you doing here with this Bernie sign? Well, I'm for Bernie. They don't even get it. They don't even get it. The fact that that guy had any shot, any shot at all, president of the United States is poof, head explode. A head explode moment. Even duct tape won't fix that. And yet, and yet, in the emails we see the massive, the massive conspiracy among television networks, among famous people, people of power, people of influence, conspiring behind Bernie's back. We know now, based on the emails, that people were placed in the Bernie Sanders organization high up who were actually with Hillary Clinton. And they were on her payroll. You surprise me, but let me say this. For whatever reason, I'm developing a thirst. Let me say this. Those same people that were duped, they looked to their leader, Bernie Sanders, and they said, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? Well, I'm feeling the burn, but it doesn't feel good anymore. It burns like an infection. And he said, let's throw our support behind Hillary Clinton. And we on the right look at it, and we say this. This is what we say. We said to Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz, don't don't support Donald. Don't come out and, and support Donald because, you know, that's wrong. You're supposed to be principal. You're supposed to be this, that, and the other. But then we look, we make fun of them because Bernie Sanders turned. Of course, he made a lot of money doing it. I don't know if you know this. Also in the WikiLeaks, ready for this? Bernie Sanders' entire campaign debt as part of the deal was paid by Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation, and he received a tidy sum top of that, seven figures. The dude sold out all those people that put him in that place. We're to have nothing to do with them. We're to look at them and say, read a book. With more words than pictures, read a book. Have nothing to do with him so that he will be ashamed. Shame in this country is absolutely, we shame the shamers. Now, do I think people who have a weight problem should be shamed? No. Do I think people with learning disabilities should be shamed? No. Do I think people because of the color of their skin or they're poor or they're rich should be shamed? No, I don't think that. Do I also think that a Mormon should be shamed for being a Mormon? Do I think a poor person should be shamed? No. At the same time, I don't think a rich person should be shamed either. 
rich white people shaming in this country is perfectly okay for whatever reason. If you're rich and you're white, my goodness, if you're even middle class, it's okay. Oh, I forgot the big one. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christian in this country, it is perfectly okay poking fun at you. And if you're a white male Christian, so much the better. Those people that are behind that, we're to have nothing to do with. We're to turn and walk away from them, and we're to shame them. Don't shame somebody because they have a learning disability. Don't shame somebody because of their color. Don't shame somebody because they don't have money or they do have money. Don't shame them because of where they were born. Don't shame them because of how they talk. Shame people who murder innocent people. You say we don't want to make the mothers feel bad. We don't want to make them feel bad. Listen, I counsel people who have had abortions. I love people who have had abortions. And they've gone to the throne, the foot of the cross, and they said they've pled the blood of Jesus, Father, forgive me. And every day they pray, Father, please forgive me for what I've done. How will I ever, ever atone for this? And he says to them, you won't. So believe you me, I'm not an advocate of going to the abortion clinics and throwing rocks at the women. At the same time, what Donald Trump said, he was the only person with the nerve to say it. They said, so do you feel the women, if they seek an illegal abortion from a doctor, that the women or the doctor, something should happen to them legally, from a legal standpoint? He's the only person, an unchurched person, a person who recently came to faith, in Jesus Christ, doesn't know the words to say, is not a politician, said, yes, I do. I don't know what that is, but something should happen because it's a violation of the law and of what's right. It figures somebody from the church would have to speak the truth to the church. But don't consider him an enemy. On the contrary, confront him as a brother and try to help him change. Now may the Lord of Shalom himself give you shalom always. In all ways, the Lord be with you. Let's go to Second Thessalonians 3, 5. I remember right after my crash, because my mouth was so damaged, I said Second Thessalonians. I couldn't say that, so now I'm glad I can say it. Second Thessalonians 3, 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Let me say this about that. We're to live with inner expectation that Christ just might come today. He might come today. How in the world are we going to sit back and not do something to save these millions of babies who are slaughtered. Hillary Clinton's team says, you know what, be a good business. This is what it be a good business, what we do. Hey, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. Tell you what let's do. Let's have this organization founded by Margaret Sanger, her hero, who founded Planned Parenthood to kill black people. Not supposition. Read her work. And then read Hillary Clinton's work and to where she, she identifies very strongly with Margaret Sanger as her hero and Saul Alinsky, who, by the way, is hero is Lucifer. And you tell me how this woman, Hillary Rodham Clinton, can say, hey, tell you what let's do. A great business for you would be this. If you take the baby parts, it's, we hate to throw away these dead babies. Why don't we just cut them up? Of course, before they die. What? Let's just cut them up. 
Let's take out their parts and sell their parts, some for as much as fifty dollars to $100,000. Hey, we can get $100,000. Listen, be careful when you're cutting it away. We know they're real little and they're hard to work in there because they're so small, so you got to be really careful. And actually on tape have said that's why women surgeons are better because their hands are smaller and they can cut better. On the tape, let's sell them. That would be a good business. Make, make a lot of business. Make a lot of money that way. I used to say, man, you, you, you've got to be kidding me Till I watched the tapes, Till I read the emails. You say, well, Julian Assange, he's a criminal. Edward Snowden, he's a criminal. Would we have ever known? Would we have ever known? You've got to ask yourself, if Donald Trump has this many people from the right coming out now against him, somebody's got something to lose. And from the left coming out against him, somebody's got something to lose. We're to live as though Christ is coming back today, and I don't want Heavenly Father to come back today and see that I kept my mouth silent because somehow or another Roe v. Wade allowed us to make murdering the innocent legal. Well, it's the law, so... Well, isn't that convenient? We have to live as though Christ might come back today, but live with an outward lifestyle that says he might not come in our lifetime. In other words, we're to work like he's coming back in the next five minutes while realizing he may choose to delay his coming until after our lives are over. But we're to work until he comes. Shaul wrote, uh, that's Paul, wrote First Thessalonians to comfort the church about the imminent return of Christ. He wrote Second Thessalonians to correct an error in thinking about what the imminent return in Christ was all about. He was concerned that there's some people that said, hey, listen, I'm going I'm to live irresponsibly. Because I have this cheap grace. He went and died. I believe in it. But guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to live how I want to live. Live it up. He's coming back soon. Why should I worry? Live how I'm going to live. Because you know what I could do every night before I go to bed? Father, forgive me. He was concerned these people have decided to live irresponsibly. He was concerned that they said, hey, the hard work has been done. The blood has been shed. I can live with this cheap grace. Good for me. They said the reason we're lazy is because he's coming back. Why build something? Why fight something? Why not be complacent? Why not be irresponsible? He's coming back soon. And listen, we have in the Christian community become lazy and complacent regarding our political responsibility to freedom and liberty. And I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here under Hillary Clinton, your religious and political freedom and liberty will evaporate before your very eyes. We will cease to be free. This is not hyperbole. This is fact. Hillary Clinton will see to it that babies as old as six months after birth, six months old, can be aborted. That they will not be safe from the medical murderers' tools of death. This is not hyperbole. This is reality. Hillary Clinton will see to it that as she proudly leads the murder of millions of babies in this country, that your freedom of speech will not be free at all and thus devoid of actual freedom. We will not have the legal right to speak out for the lives of the innocent because we will not have the legal right to speak out about anything. Why? Because we failed 
to stand all along. We will then not have the legal right to speak out, and this is not hyperbole, this is fact. Hillary Clinton will see to it that as Christians, our voices will be silenced and nullified just as the Romans did. She'll see to it that babies and sick people and old people and mentally handicapped people and people of color will die legally. And if Christians decide, has anyone heard of Obamacare? Anybody here? Obamacare was full of lies, but there were certain people called uh, polarizing people on the right who stood up and said, hey, maybe you should read this, because in this, what we have here, guess what? There's death panels. Oh, come on, Sarah, you're a fool. Oh, Sarah Palin, so stupid. And then we parody her on, so sarcastically, we parody her on Saturday Night Live and on all the shows, and they poke fun at her. She was right. She was right. She was speaking the truth. And we as Christians sat silently by. Ever hear of Obamacare? You, If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Big fat lie. Everybody's going to have health insurance, except for the people that can no longer afford their health insurance. That number is greater now than the number of people that gained health insurance. And guess what? Most of those people that gained health insurance because of pre-existing conditions and other reasons, guess what? They can't afford it. I don't have health insurance. You want to know why? Because I can't afford it. 32%, folks, thank you. In Delaware, your rates are going up 32%. You say, I'm not worried about the down-ballot election. I'm not worried about that. I can't be troubled with that. I'm busy. Really? Because Trinidad Navarro, who I know personally, nice guy, is running for insurance commissioner. And you know what else? He doesn't care about your insurance rates. He knows they're going up, and he's already talked to the insurance companies. How do you think he affords those fancy signs all up and down the state? You say down ballot doesn't matter. Mm, come on now. Every vote matters. Every office matters. Dog catcher matters. That's why Center for Self-Governance so important. Tonight I'm going to welcome into my home Mark Herr, and he's come into town for one reason and one reason only. My dear friend and, and level five CSG graduate uh, Janice Gallagher is running in the Camden, Wyoming district. And he's going to come in and help with the campaign from Washington State all week, morning, noon, and night, to help her. Christians said, hey, you know what? We're going to be quiet. We're not going to rise. But you know what? If Hillary Clinton gets in office, you won't have the opportunity to rise anymore. Because guess what? She wants to take away your weapons. You say this is hyperbole and and and. And and you've got to understand that if a person says something to you so convincingly, looks you right in the eye and says, well, Donald Trump doesn't know. He's, you know, he's a reality TV star. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. Really? Because Hillary Clinton has been quoted many, many times, many times. In her 30-plus years of public life, after she was disbarred for being a lying lying, cheating attorney, kicked off of many, many projects, legal projects, because she was a liar. The write-ups on her are scathing from the people that she worked for. She's a liar and can't be trusted. She has said she wants your guns. She wants your weapons. So if Christians 
even if Christians decide, hey, you know what, we're going to rise up. We're finally going to defend the defenseless. We're going to take our weapons and we're going to say, hey, we're, we're done with it. We're done allowing you to murder tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of millions of innocent babies for decades. You won't have weapons to do it, and you won't have words, because the First and Second Amendment to Hillary Clinton is history. You'll be weaponless because Hillary Clinton not only wants the murder of millions of the innocent to die through abortion and euthanasia, Hillary Clinton rabidly wants to take away your constitutional right to possess a firearm. This is not hyperbole. This is documented fact. This is documented fact. We must engage the collision of faith and politics to win or work until he comes. And how do we do it? How do we live a balanced life that expects Yeshua to appear at any moment, but live as though he may not appear in our lifetime? How do we balance hope and responsibility? How do we not get so blown out by this, this terrible, terrible place that we're in, in this election, 2016, weeks away, weeks away? How do we balance hope and responsibility? We pray for one another. Shaul or Paul requested prayer for two things in those verses, verses 1 and 2 in the Thessalonians. What were they? Pray for us. Pray for the word to have free course. Pray for the spread of the gospel, not just around the world, but in our home, on our street, in our neighborhood, in our community, in our county, in our state, and in our nation. We get discouraged waiting for Christ when we see few being saved, when we see few seeing the truth, when we look around and we talk to these Bernie supporters and these Hillary supporters and we say, how? How can you do it? How can you support this person? She has been soundly, completely identified as a liar. She's not just lying to us. She's lied to all of you. She sold you down the river. The only thing she wants is the label under the portrait in the White House. Hillary Rodham Clinton, 45th president of the United States of America. That's the only thing she wants. And she wants the power to destroy. We get discouraged waiting for Christ. When we see few being saved, when we see few coming to common sense, when we see the condition of not only our country but the world, we see fewer turning their lives to Christ because of a few things. To hear this, but I've got to tell you, the postmodern evangelical church has grown lazy and weak. We have pastors all across this community. You know what's funny is I, I travel around the country and preach, and, and I always ask the people first before they invite me to preach, have you listened to anything I've done? Have you listened to maybe my show and some other speeches? Because I don't want to get there and, you know, trick anybody. So let's just make sure you know who you're inviting here. And they say, yeah, 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 we, that's why we're inviting you. Cool. But when it's time to talk to the pastors, if, you know, there's a, a church in the community, says, hey, we'd love to have you come. Church in the community. And, and I say, well, well, this is what I stand for. Well, that's a little polarizing. What's polarizing mean, bub? Reverend Doctor, what's polarizing mean? What does that mean? That means Tim Tebow can't take a knee for, for less than 1.2 seconds the man takes a knee in the end zone. 
while playing football. But a gay guy gets a call from the president. A not very good football player, gay guy, gets a call from the president. You're a hero. People stomp on the flag and sit down while the national anthem is being played. They turn their back on it. They raise their fist in defiance to it. They're hailed as heroes. And you know what? The postmodern evangelical, Western evangelical church, guess what? They're wise. Pastors, panty-waist pastors all across the country today stand in pulpits and preach to least offend. I have a good friend of mine that's uh, really good at nutrition, and they're always telling me about the lowest effective dose of supplements and different things, and I'm always thinking about that. Pastors all across this country preach to the lowest effective dose. They don't want to offend. They don't want to put anybody off, especially that person in the fourth row that gives the most money. Lazy and weak and complacent. The media largely and decidedly liberal and anti-God, anti-faith, anti-Christian, and anti-Jewish. That's the media. If you think of the media as anything other than that, what planet are you living on? They hate you and everything you stand for. They say, hey, Christians are dumb. They believe in fairy tales. Jews, at least the religious ones. They're dumb. Chosen people. They hate you. We were silent when the media lied every single time. Starting back decades ago, they lied and they lied and they lied and they, they propagandized and they programmed and they entertained us to death. We were silent. We were silent as they led us and our religious freedom into the gas chambers. We were silent as each of our freedoms died while we watched. Those that unapologetically oppose us, who call for our capitulation and our death, who call for our surrender, or they will literally saw off your head from your body or drown you in acid while alive or stone you, buried up to your neck or throw you from a building or blow you up with a cowardly bomb. And if that doesn't work, they'll take their cars and crash into you. Or maybe they decide they're going to use a plane and they crash them into buildings. They do it through our passivity. How did, how did 9-11 and all the many hundreds of terrorist events in the United States, you know, people, listen, we've been very safe relatively since 9-11, since the president. You've got to be kidding me, man. Read a book. How do they do it? They do it through our passivity. They do it because we're passive. Through our ever-growing softness as a Christian community, through our unwillingness to fight until he comes, they do it. That's how they do it. On the other hand, when the gospel is openly advancing outside the view of the people whom they are to serve, we're encouraged. When we see that happen, we're like, ooh, it's just like my brother Lance. My brother Lance is, is fighting for his life here. You know, he's over a month in the hospital, several weeks in ICU, hooked up to every machine you can think of. And every time he opens his eyes at all, we're like, oh, here it is, the turnaround. We so clamor for it. We pray for it. We beg God. Every little thing, every little thing we see, and when we see it out in public, we get excited about it. We're like, oh, man. 
But how excited are you about the alcoholic that before he ends up in intensive care comes into the church reeking of alcohol? How excited are you about that? We see people, the most unlikely of people that defy all odds. They come to Christ and their whole life has changed. And we spend minutes with them, praising God with them, putting our hand on their back and saying, praise God, brother. Yours is a life that's about to be changed. We, we spend minutes with them instead of discipling them. We've lost our joy and excitement over people coming to Christ all across this country. You know, the word evangelist is now a pejorative. But you know, back in 1950, if you were to say the word evangelist, you say, what two words come to mind when you hear evangelist? And they would say, Billy Graham. Now when you say evangelist, the first thing to come out of people is charlatan. Number one word, number one response. If for nothing else, isn't it worth our fighting within the collision of faith and politics until he comes to see people coming to Christ through coming to the truth? You say they're separate and distinct things. You're having a political discussion in church. Politics and faith are inexorably, inextricably linked together, and you cannot pull them apart. When the Iron Curtain first came down, let me say this. The first efforts at evangelism yielding such a rich harvest. Oh, people by the tens of thousands were coming to Christ. And it was thrilling. By the way, I want to address this. The Berlin Wall did not fall. The Berlin Wall didn't fall. The Berlin Wall, the Berlin Wall was torn down by people brave enough to go up with the sledgehammers and the pickaxes, and risk being shot to death. Finally, they got the nerve to fight back. And they said, we're not standing for it. You can shoot me, but you can't shoot the thousands behind me. It didn't fall. This wasn't a passive event. It didn't simply decay, decay and to collapse. The Berlin didn't fall. It was torn down, torn down by people who finally decided to fight. And you know what? If we're not there with them and people all around the world, including in this country, proximally to fight, then we are to pray for, this, for their success of freedom and liberty. Let me say this. Christian bakers, mom-and-pop operations. Christian florists, mom-and-pop operations. Sweet little grandma and great-grandpa. Grandma. And they're losing everything they got. Why? Christians. Christians are silent. Ranchers fighting for what is right, to take back land that was stolen from them, take back water that was stolen from them, to shine the light on that the United States government is selling the land and water from right underneath ranchers and running them out, lying and murdering them. Thirty-some of them sit in jail right now. And Christians all across this country are silent. Mm, isn't that a shame? We are to pray for the protection of others. This is what we're to do. We're to pray for the protection of others. To whom in our day we might apply this type of prayer? Why specifically do they need it? Pastors, teachers, church workers, missionaries, Christians in government, Christians in the military. Pray for the listen, you want to pray for somebody, pray for Christian uh chaplains in the United States military. They are under attack. Pray for chaplains in churches. You, did you hear what I just said? Pray for chaplains in churches. Did you hear that? You say, what are you talking about? There are chaplains that go on Sunday when they're not working in hospitals and uh, organizations all across the country 
who go to church, and they're not supported. They go into the belly of the beast that wants to kill people, like, you know, hey, look, the hospital where my brother is, they're working hard. We lean over and we say to it right in his face, we say to it, Lance, you've got to work, brother. You've got to work as hard as they are. You've got to meet us halfway, man. Come on, fight, brother. They're fighting for you. All these people coming in here fighting. They're working hard. You've got to work hard, too. They're fighting hard. But these chaplains go in and they're told, you can't say this. Chaplains in the military, you can't speak the name of Jesus. You can't pray for somebody's soul. You can't tell them about the cross. You can't tell them about Jesus under attack. So those chaplains come to church on Sunday, and guess what they hear? They hear some mealy-mouthed, weak punk up in, the, up in the pulpit talk a bunch of smack, least effective dose, so he doesn't lose his precious, easy job. Pray for the protection of others. How about the innocent? How about the unborn? Why in the world is there an abortionist that isn't afraid of walking from his car to his shop of horrors? You tell me how we as a people can sit and allow a person. We look at Gosnell up in Philadelphia, house of horrors, murder den. And we say to ourselves, it wasn't until the mom started dying that anybody started saying anything. Till, till, the, till the women going in getting the abortion started dying, anybody had anything to say? If it weren't for the women dying by these garish procedures, we wouldn't know today. Why is it? You say, ooh, Dr. Sean, you're making me a little nervous here with this talk about why, why, are they, why do they feel safe. Why you tell me how a murderer should feel safe in his – I'll give you another example. Just popped in my head. Free of charge, no cost or obligation to you. You remember the abortionist, I think his name was Stiller or Tiller, Dr. Tiller? Where was it, Texas? Kansas? That's right. One of the world's leaders in very late-term abortions and proponents for post-birth abortions. Pioneer! They said he literally, literally killed himself over 11,000 a year. The dude went to church and sat next to people who didn't shun him, who didn't shame him. The dude sat in a church, walked around, and pretended to serve God while his entire wealth, the jaguar out in the parking lot, paid for by the blood of innocent children. And yet he felt comfortable enough. He felt comfortable enough waltzing into that church and acting as though he was a regular citizen. Why could he do that? I'll tell you why. He could do that because we shame him. He could walk comfortably and quietly and, and confidently to from from his church to his car to the out to the restaurant to the go over here after church and then go to work on Monday and begin another week of killing. He could do that free and secure because he knew Christians are too quiet. They're too peaceful. They follow the rules. We got the law changed, and they can't do a thing about it. They can't do a thing about it. They can't do a thing. Why Christians follow the law? How does the dude walk from his car to the murder den? Pray for others. Pray for those in the fight. Pray for the people that are standing there with the signs. Now, what did they do? The press and everybody on the left? 
They flipped the narrative and they said those people are the bad people. The people with the signs saying, free the unborn, prayers for the innocent, pictures of the of the aborted babies in the womb. These are the same people that flood flood the the uh, legislative halls all across America when a bill comes in the in up to be uh decided upon and and the bill is okay fine you won't make it illegal then let's we have a video let's show them a video of the development of their child until such and such a point we'll, okay video you don't like that let's do let's do the little stills and then at the end, just put your initials. Did you see this? Did you read this? Did you watch this? Do you understand what you just saw? If you see that and you still want an abortion, just sign your name here. Those legislative halls all across the country of the United States of America, a land that is supposedly free, all across America, they're flooded with murderers and people who support murderers who want more of the murder and the sale of body parts of the innocent to go on. And you think the people holding the sign with the picture on it 500 yards away because that's the law? You think they're the bad people? Well, they're not very loving. We should love those parents. I know someone personally who has had seven abortions. Seven abortions. Seven. And no, she wasn't raped on every single one. She wasn't raped for any of them. She led a lifestyle that led her to that choice. And every time she made that choice. And then she came to Christ. And guess what? She tried to have a baby. Her and her husband tried to have a baby. And that baby that was born was so horribly, horribly disfigured. And so horribly, horribly dysfunctional. The baby lived two years. Two years. She said, my biggest lesson was, is that baby is now free and perfect in Christ, in the presence of God. But I will never be free. Because the reason why that happened is because I murdered seven others before. And we're the bad guys for having the signs. Shame in the society. Uh, what is the, the anti-bullying campaign? Look, I don't want anybody to be bullied. I, want, I don't want anybody, I don't want to be bullied. Listen, I was a skinny kid. I was four pounds when I was born. I was two and a half months premature. Four pounds. I know. I puffed up. And I was a skinny kid. And you know what I did? I learned how to fight because I was the kid getting bullied. I was the kid getting pushed around because I was weak and I was skinny. And I had a lot of stuff wrong with me. I said, you know, i got to learn how to fight. i got to be quiet about it because I don't want to, you know, I'm not the UFC. And after a while, you know what? I got tired of getting my butt beat. And you know what I did? I beat a few butts. And you know what happened? Folks stopped seeing me as somebody they can bully. Hey, look. If you stand and you got your video camera going, you mm, let me see this. This will be a YouTube sensation. You see an innocent person getting there, getting beat up, sometimes to death, and you stand there and you film it, you're worthless. You say, well, what am I going to do? I, I don't have any skills. If you're not willing to give your life for the innocent, you're worthless. You've got no point being here on this planet. 
if you're going to allow something so innocent as that, someone being bullied for their Down syndrome or they're a little overweight or they're a little skinny or their teeth stick out or their ears stick out or they don't have a fancy haircut or they don't wear the right clothes or they're from the wrong side of town or they wore today the wrong color sneakers, Lord forbid. Maybe they failed a test. Maybe they're not the smartest. You want to let somebody like that get beat up and say, ooh, what can I do? I can't do anything. You say, where am I going to get the strength? You say, where am I going to get the strength? How am I going to stand up? Okay, Dr. Sean, you've convinced me. I, I need to stand up. I need to stop letting these babies be murdered. I need, to, I need to stand in the gap. I need to know more. What do I do? Where do I get the strength? Prayer is vital to creating that inner expectation. That inner expectation of Christ coming is the same expectation that gives you the strength that while you're here on earth, you say, no more. I'm not going to allow another child to be, I'm not going to be silent while another child is murdered. That same expectation and knowledge that Christ is coming back one day, maybe today. A lot of folks are out there saying, man, I hope it's before the sermon is over. Whew. You have to have an outer balance lifestyle. Listen, you can't be out of whack. I, I met a guy one time, and he, and he was the guy. He was, he was the guy every day. Every day he went to the abortion clinic. Every day I was living in another state at the time. And I used to see this guy walk by, walk by where I was living. Every day, every day, every day. He used to open up the trunk of his car, and he had all these signs in there. And sometimes I'd see him sitting out front painting the signs. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? What is this you're doing? And he goes, do you really want to know, or are you just curious? I said, well, let me be honest. I'm curious. But I do really want to know now because you asked me that. And now that's really stoked my curiosity. So what are you doing? And he looked at me and said, he started rattling off all these figures about the innocent in America, babies being murdered, slaughtered by the millions. And he said, you know, four blocks down to the east, there's a brick building there that women file in and out of, pregnant. They go in pregnant, they leave murderer. They go in pregnant, they leave an accessory to murder. They go in with no guilt and no shame other than, hey, how did it happen? And they come out with a guilt and a shame they'll never escape, except through the blood of Christ. He said, I don't know about you, but I can't stomach it. So I took my entire retirement, and I structured it so that I could do this every single day. I said, man, really? And then I kind of went around, and I looked at the guy, and I said, I know who you are. You're the guy on television that keeps getting arrested. He goes, yeah. The police keep arresting me because they tell me I can't go past a certain line. So I spray paint a line on the ground to remind myself, hey, don't go past this line. They stopped arresting me for going past the line. They started arresting me for defacing the road and for doing all these things. So then I got out there and I scrubbed it off with turpentine. Then they arrested me for using uh, unapproved things, and the, and the EPA is going to come down on me. And then I had a sign I was holding up, and they said, well, there's a crash four blocks down that way, and it's because people were still remembering the image on my sign, and that was distracting, and it wasn't approved, so I looked up the what I'm allowed to do, and I did it. And now they're trying to say I'm crazy. And I said, what are you? He said, I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And I can't watch another innocent, innocent child be put in a dumpster 
can't do it. I can't face myself and I can't face Christ if I allow this to happen one more time. Personal and individual prayer, folks. It's so important. Personal individual prayer, it's needed. We, we have to be willing to go before God, not only within the confines of corporate worship and prayer, but we must also be brave enough to engage Christ one-on-one. We have to be brave enough to engage God in the privacy and vulnerability of private and individual prayer, capital O, one, on little o, one. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his faith continually. First Chronicles 16, 11, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Matthew 26, 41, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Luke 18, 1, hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name, asking you shall receive that your joy may be full. John 16, 24, pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5, 17, you want to know where strength comes from. You say, Dr. Sean, where am I going to get this strength from to start standing up for for my political beliefs, for the things I believe, for my religious freedom, for my right to keep and bear arms, for my constitutional rights, for the things that God gave me through this experiment of liberty, this great thing, where am I going to get the strength from? Pray for strength and you'll receive it. But then there's corporate prayer. That's church-wide prayer. That's Kehala-wide prayer. prayer. That kind of prayer is also needed. Look, it's easy to count the prayers of the church as your personal prayers. Well, I was in church and there was praying done, so that counts as my praying. As the elders of our of our church pray, we count that as our prayer. But as I said, that's not enough. It doesn't negate the fervent prayers of the body of believers. It doesn't negate the power. And, the, and that's awesome. Boy, when you can pray among a group of believers, that's awesome. It's powerful. The Bible in Matthew 18, 19 says, Again, I say to you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, and it shall be done for them. Of, the, of my Father, which is in heaven. These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary, the mother of Yeshua, and with his brethren, Acts one fourteen. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying, Acts 12.12. The next thing we can do is trust in God's faithfulness. You know what? Here's, here's a big reason why most people are timid, pastors included. They don't really trust in God's faithfulness. They don't trust in that. They they pretend to believe. They pretend to follow God. They pretend to be for real, but they're not. But they're not. They're shams because they don't trust in God's faithfulness. They don't trust that God will either protect them or sustain them. You say, yeah, but in the face of torture, in the face of being hauled out and murdered by the left, I mean, you don't think the left kills people? you're talking about willis the left kills people all the time paul in the verses verse three of the original text what was he supremely confident he was confident in god's faithfulness that's why he could stand to be tortured that's why he could stand to be ridiculed that's why he could stand to be almost murdered many times if god's faithfulness is taken out of the picture is there any way for any of us to succeed in the christian life the answer there is a resounding big fat no God's faithfulness is taken away. There's no chance. You don't have a chance. If God isn't faithful, then you can't sustain it. I'm here to tell you, God is faithful. He's never once lied to us. He's never once let us down. If God's faithfulness is working for us, is there any way for us to fail in the Christian life? The answer is no. 
You can't fail if you believe and live as though God is faithful as he is. You will not fail. You say, well, listen, I've tried lots of things, and I failed. I ran for public office, and you know what? I failed. You know what? I didn't get elected. You know what? I tried for a job. I believe in God's faithfulness, and he didn't give it to me. You know what? I prayed for deliverance from this health thing, and, and God didn't deliver me. I prayed that I wouldn't be in a horrible car crash. I prayed I wouldn't get cancer. 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 Prayed I wouldn't be an alcoholic. Prayed I mom wouldn't die. Prayed dad wouldn't die. Prayed this, that, and the other, upside, one side, all the different things you want to tell me you pray for. You say, well, it didn't happen. God's not faithful. Let me tell you what. I say often, you better read a book. Read the book. And you'll realize the more you read that book, the more you're in that word, the more you're praying, and you're believing God's faithfulness, you see God has been faithful all along. He's never once let anyone down. Deliverance of Israel through the Red Sea looked hopeless. But God was faithful. Deliverance of Elijah on Mount Carmel. He thought he was all alone, but God was faithful. Samson's last stand against the Philistines. He thought he had ruined everything, but God was faithful. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they thought their hopes were dashed with Yeshua's death, but God was faithful. No matter how long it seems to take, no matter how long, he said, work until he comes. I'll work until, I'll go until I start to get tired and weary. That's what I'll do. I'll work until I get thirsty. I'll work until I get tired. I'll work until I get hungry. I'll work until I get bored. God better hurry. No matter how long it seems to take, no matter how bleak the outlook is to us, God's faithfulness is absolute. Deuteronomy 7.9, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Praise God. Hebrews 10.23, if you don't like the Old Testament, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Psalm 36.5, thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches into the clouds. But you know what? If we're to believe anything, we have to obey what we've been taught. We have to obey what we've been taught. Concerning obedience, who was Shaul's confidence in? Still, it was God. It wasn't in the Thessalonians. It was in God. The Apostle Paul said, I believe in the Almighty God. Our ability comes from God. Our strength comes from God. Our fearlessness comes from God. Our courage and our bravery comes from God. Our faithful obedience fuels our expectation and hope. Our faithful obedience demonstrates an outward discipline lifestyle. We say, hey, man, I can't seem to manage to get up on time. I'm late for work every day. You say you're a Christian. Take the fish off your car if you can't manage to get somewhere on time. Let me tell you what. There's no greater embarrassment than not being able to make it as a grown person somewhere on time. If it's your job, wherever it is, get there on time. Do what it takes to get there on time. If you have a Jesus fish on your car, follow me to such and such a church. Folks will be like, if I follow you to that church, you better, I better, you better leave earlier because I'm going to be late because you're late everywhere you are. Everywhere you go, you're late. You're the last one walking in. People say that's stupid that you focus on late. It's the one thing you can control. Listen, I was late coming home from dinner, coming home for dinner on April 12, 2012, at 618, I was in a head-on collision, 92 miles per hour versus 51 miles per hour to zero in seven feet. I was trapped in eight inches of space. The first two firemen that checked me said he did. He gone. One of them is a kid I watched grow up from an hour old right across the street. 
I had a fairly reasonable excuse. 99% of the people out there, Christians especially, you don't have an excuse to be late. You do not have an excuse to be late all the time. Once in a while, a little traffic jam happens, something comes along, trip you up. But if that's what you're known for, you don't have an excuse to be late. Discipline. I told you about that guy with his, with his trunk full of signs, faithful servant of God, soldier, warrior, fearless. One of those times I said, hey, man, won't you, I'll, let, I'll help you carry some of these things over here. I got to be to work at such and such. Don't want to be late. And so I said, but let me, let me help you. So I was there on time a little bit early, and I went and I helped him. I went into his apartment. I said, oh, Lord Jesus, what in the world? The man had magazines piled five feet high. There was a, there was a, he was a hoarder, first hoarder I'd ever seen in my life. Listen, when I, ha- when I left out of my house to go to school from when I was a little kid, your bed better be made. There better not be anything laying on that floor. You better keep your stuff clean, keep your wires tight. Mama didn't play. She was little, but she was fierce. She did not play. Your stuff better look good. Mom didn't ever put clothes away. She, she would bring the clothes right to where she put them, and you put them away. I'm talking as a little kid. That's how it worked in my house. I thank God for it. It made me very disciplined. This man was a hoarder, first hoarder I'd ever seen. I'd never seen a hoarder in my life. He said, yeah, pardon the mess. Well, I was a little bit blunt back then. I've changed a lot since then. I said, mess? Mister, what's wrong with you? He goes, what do you mean? I said, sir, do you see all this stuff or do you not see it anymore? He goes, oh, you mean my magazines? I said, no. Your magazines, your cans, your bottles, your boxes, your clothes. What in the world? I'm not walking in there. Bring the signs of the door. I said, I don't walk somewhere I can't see around corners. Buddy, you need some help. He goes, yeah, I kind of hang on to things. I don't know what to get rid of. I said, here's a hint. All of that. Get rid of all of that. There can't be nothing in there you need. First experience with a hoarder, I was like, oh, my land, Lord Jesus, what's wrong with this man? God bless him. He's a soldier, but he didn't have any discipline in areas of his life. I asked him the very simple question I'm sure is on all your minds. Is your bathroom this nasty? Where do you brush your teeth? I did. I did. I laid it out. And then I offered, the very next thing I said is, hey, let me come over here on Saturday. I'm off work on Saturday. Let me help you throw some of this stuff away. Oh, I don't throw anything away. I said, that's painfully evident. You have no discipline when it comes to offloading the things that you should offload. This is why it's overrun you. You have a problem. This is a mental health issue. I can help you with it. He never did take me up on it. I can't imagine why. You've got to have some discipline. You've got to have some discipline. You've got to have a little bit of an outward discipline lifestyle. But you know what else, too? We have to learn love and patience. Patience isn't tantamount to laziness or apathy or atrophy. My lands, I better hurry. What areas of our, what, let me just pick two. What two areas of our life are mentioned in this verse, the, the one above I started a long time ago, that we should be working to improve, love and patience. We've got to learn to love like God loves. God's love is unconditional. I love that dude for what he did. I was appalled by how he lived. That explained the smell 
that I, I kid you not, I smelled this man before I saw him. And I put it off as, well, there's some food sitting in the dumpster a little too long. They need to come up. Honest to goodness, he smelled so bad. I couldn't believe it. And then finally I put two and two together. When I smelled the smell in his house and I smelled the smell when he was walking to his car, I realized the smell was following him. That's how he lives. Terrible. That's a terrible, terrible thing. But I unconditionally loved the dude. I said, let me come. Look, y'all that know me, I'm a little germ-phobic. I'm a little, ooh, I don't want to touch that. You know, I've touched dead bodies and dying bodies, and I've been covered in other people's blood and lots of stuff. But look, <laughs> you got no problem with those hand sanitizers, they say in the hospital. I go in and out of the hospital several times a week, and every, about every four feet they have hand sanitizers. I check every one, see if it works. Boot, 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 boot. You know? Before too long, I'm going to rot away from all that sanitization. Depends on, depends on what's on my hands that I don't want to get rid of. But I'm telling you, I like, I, yay. You ain't worried about me. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's a news flash. This is free of charge, no cost or obligation to you. We are all sinners. Me too. We need to learn to love like God loves us, and we need to learn to love God like he loves us. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Deuteronomy 6.5. We need to learn to love others like he loves us. Love ye therefore the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 10.19. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Matthew 22.39. By this all men shall know that you are my disciples. If you have love one to another, John 13. 35, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, Romans 12, 9. How do we learn to love like God? By experience. You'll never learn to love like God unless you understand God's love for you. Hurts, habits, and hangups. Listen, if you grew up in your life and your parents weren't good to you, there's lots of it. There's lots of that. There's lots of parents that hurt their kids. They didn't mean to, but they hurt their kids. God is sovereign. God is bigger and better and tougher and more loving and amazing than anything your mom or your dad or your neighbor or your uncle could ever do to you. But you've got to know him. You've got to love him. You've got to get in Scripture. You've got to get in prayer. By observation, we can see how God loves others and how others who know him love. By repetition, we learn by actually doing it. Listen, you learn to love by loving. You learn patience like Christ's patience. There's two ways to understand this. It's a directive to wait for Christ's return when he tells us to be patient. It's a directive, hey, just wait, I'm coming. It is a directive, it is a directive that we should emulate the patience of Yeshua himself. The first is the theme of this book, Thessalonians. The second is the goal for us while we're waiting for his return. We're to love one another and love as he loved. Consider some examples of Christ's patience. He dealt with Peter, Kepha, after his denial. He dealt with the disciples. that they are, They're sitting there arguing over. Right before Yeshua is about to die, they're arguing over who's going to do it. Ooh, you're the greatest. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest disciple. He was patient with them. Dealing with Pilate's arrogance when he said he had the power to kill him. Man, you want to talk about patience. If I were Jesus and my brokenness, no wonder, uh, I'm not. I would have looked at Pilate and said, brother, you've got another thing coming. How's your insurance? Paid up? 
your health insurance better be paid up. Your life insurance better be paid up. I'm going to make it rain rocks up in here, flaming rocks. You you think you have the power to kill me with one word to the Father. You are you are like dust, and you never existed. Blown away into the, 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 the trillions of grains of sand in a desert nobody knows how non-existent you would be. You have the power to kill me? Good thing. Good thing it wasn't me. We're to work while we wait. The problem is some of the believers thought in this Thessalonian letter that the return was so imminent. They had this inner expectation. They didn't do anything. So they just stood around waiting. They didn't have any outward lifestyle. Remember I talked about it. Have some discipline. Have an outward lifestyle. Let me just read this to you real quick while we run out of time. Acts 1, 9 through 11. And when they had spoken these things, when they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Yeshua, which is taken up from you into heaven, so shall he come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. The reason why people have such a messed up thinking in this world today is they don't understand the word. They misunderstood Paul and they misunderstand the true good teachers and they were influenced by false teachers. And there's a lot of false teachers out there today that are listening to and misleading people. Correction for the problem. You better get to work. You better get to work. We're better, we better follow Shaul's example. We better follow Paul, Paul's example. And we, look, we've got to be responsible in what we do. Here's the problem. When folks aren't involved in working for the Lord, everything starts to fall apart, including the political freedom and liberty hinges upon us. We've got to stand up. We can't ever quit. Sometimes you ever see that poster of that cat hanging on from the tree limb? It's barely on there. What's it say underneath? Hang in there, baby. Sometimes we get discouraged. We get weary. We want to give up, but you've got to not give up. You've got to pray. You've got to believe. Sometimes we don't trust God, but God's never let us down. Sometimes we don't obey. We better get right with God every day. Keep a short account with God. Sometimes we don't love like we should, and our patience is shot. Sometimes we wonder why we seem to be the only ones doing any work. You ever be in a situation like that? You're supposed to go, and you're part of a team, part of a squad. And guess what? You're the only one working. You look around. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. My foot hath held steps in his way I have kept and not declined. We know that when the tent which houses us here on earth is torn down, we have a permanent building from God, a building not made by human hands to house us in heaven. Coming, verse 5, in Second Corinthians 5, 1 through 11. Moreover, it is God who has prepared us for this very thing. And as a pledge, he has given us his spirit. Verse 8 starts off with, we are confident. Verse 10, for we must appear, we must all appear before the Messiah's court of judgment, where everyone will receive the good or bad consequences of what he did while he was in the body. My friends, who and what does God know you to be? Loser of the republic? Or are you a lion of the republic? What do we do until he comes? We are to pray. We are to trust. We are to obey. We are to learn to love and be patient. We are to work and fight and don't quit. We are to decide, resolve, and stand.
Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.